This summer, I'm preaching through the annual festivals that God's people practice in the Old Testament. We find those listed in Leviticus 23. So that's one of the main texts we're reading through, but then we're adding others in along the way. And again, we're looking at how those, tech, how those festivals were practiced in the Old Testament, how they point us to Jesus Christ, and then what they mean for us as Christian believers today. Today we come to the festival of unleavened bread, and that festival will bring us to the Lord's Supper. Let's read from Leviticus 23, and then we'll also have a reading from John chapter 15. Hear the word of the Lord. These are the Lord's appointed feasts, the sacred assemblies you are to proclaim at their appointed times. The Lord's Passover begins at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. On the 15th day of that month, the Lord's Feast of Unleavened Bread begins. For seven days, you must eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. For seven days, present an offering made to the Lord by fire. And on the seventh day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. And then we'll go to the New Testament and we'll read from John chapter 15. And this is Jesus speaking to his disciples and therefore Jesus speaking to us. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. So we're talking about the festival of unleavened bread this morning, and that's our first point. Now, usually on Labor Day weekend, we as a church gather with other area CRCs for a combined service at Western Springs CRC. We have a service in the evening, and then Western Springs provides some refreshments, and people eat, hang out, talk. And one of the snacks that's usually provided is an old Dutch treat. And I got some lessons on how to pronounce it this week. I think I'm going to say it wrong, but here goes. Roggenbrot. Yep. <laughs> but here's the deal. If you know how to say it, pretend I just said it right. And if you don't know how to say it, pretend I just said it right, okay? But this dish, all right, it's a rye bread. It's sliced really thin, and there's this really strong cheese that's put on top of it. So thin slices of rye bread with a really strong cheese. And between the rye bread and the cheese, it has a very particular, powerful taste to it. And if you watch the line on these days that they, we have these gatherings, when people get to the snacks table and they see this dish in front of them, I usually see about three reactions. Some people go, look, I love this stuff. It's been so long since we had it. I'm going to take a plateful. And then there's people who go, oh, look, that stuff. What else is there? And then there's people who go, what is that stuff? And sometimes after you try it for the first time, people say, why? Why this dish? 
we might see some similar reactions to some other traditional meals. In Leviticus 23, the Lord commands his people to celebrate the festival of unleavened bread. And he tells them to have some sacred assemblies, to do no work, to bring some special offerings. And then he tells them to make unleavened bread, bread without yeast for seven days. For seven days, bread without yeast. And by and large, when you make bread that way, you get a flatter bread and a bread that isn't as tasty. So we could imagine people in the Old Testament saying, why, why this dish? Mom, do we have to have unleavened bread again? Neighbor, why are you making bread that way? And actually, when we gather here today and we participate in the Lord's Supper, we might be tempted to ask some of the same questions. Why do we get these little pieces of bread and these tiny little cups of wine? And, and why do we eat them together here in church? What's, what's the meaning here? What's the point? So this morning, we're going to reflect on the meaning of the festival of unleavened bread. And actually, it's one of the meanings. The Lord's Supper has depth of meanings beyond what we can comprehend. But one of the meanings it shares with the festival of unleavened bread and that meaning, that point is that the Lord, the Lord has delivered us from evil and he has restored us in our relationship with him. That's, that's the center of our reflection this morning and the center of our practice of the Lord's Supper, that the Lord has restored us in our relationship with him. But if we're going to talk about being restored in a relationship, we also need to talk about, well, what went wrong? What's the brokenness? What's the, what's the space? What's the separation? What happened? And so for our second point this morning, we're going to talk about total depravity. Total depravity is one of those teachings of our church that's not very well understood and also not terribly popular. And total, I would guess we all know, means complete, 100%. And depravity means something, something awful, bad, Corrupted, degenerate, evil. So total depravity has, has some sense of something being completely evil, completely broken. And we here believe that humans are completely, totally depraved. Now, when we first hear that, we often think that what's being said is that means humans are as bad as we could be and there's nothing good in the world and everything's awful. And that's not actually what I'm saying or what our church believes. What I am saying and what we do believe is that sin has permeated every part of our lives. The brokenness we experience as sinful humans in this world extends to every single part of our existence. There is always good and evil mixed up in just about everything we do, but, but the key point of the doctrine of total depravity is that there is evil mixed up in everything that we do. Sin has worked its way into all the parts of our lives. Green Eggs and Ham is a classic children's book by Dr. Seuss. And in that book, one main character spends the whole book saying to another, try this green eggs and ham. You might like it. You might like it. And the other character says the whole time, no, I do not like green eggs and ham. And the adventure goes on and on and on. And then at the end, the second character finally decides to sample the green eggs and ham. And he finds out he likes it. 
So sorry if I just spoiled the book for you. Still worth a read, but that's how it ends. Well, once an enterprising mother made green eggs and ham for her children when they were at the Dr. Seuss stage. So she cooked up some ham, and then she scrambled some eggs, and she poured a whole bunch of green food coloring in and mixed and mixed and mixed until the eggs were totally green. And then she dished it all out, put it out on the table, called her kids to come down for breakfast, and they came down, and they sat down, and they looked at what was in front of them, and they, they just froze in amazement. And they said, Mom, green eggs! Green eggs and ham! It's real, Mom! It's real! Green eggs! Sin is like that green food coloring. It gets into the mix, and it permeates everything, and it changes, it changes everything. Sin makes everything different. It doesn't make us not human. It doesn't necessarily change things totally, but it reshapes them. It affects how we act, how we look, how this world looks. And the Bible doesn't use food coloring as a metaphor, but it uses yeast to mean the same thing. When you work yeast into dough, it goes through the whole thing, and it changes the whole thing. And in the Old Testament, people mostly made a sort of sourdough bread that they'd mix up the dough, and they'd take a lump of it out and put it aside before they baked the bread for the day. And then the next day, they'd mix up the dough again. They'd take that lump, knead it in, and then the yeast in that lump would carry into the whole thing. They'd take another piece out and set it aside for the day. And when you do this after a while, the yeast kind of starts to go bad. It, it gets mixed in, but it doesn't give you the results you want. And so every now and then, they'd have to just throw it all out and somehow start completely over. So the festival of unleavened bread on one level was just an opportunity for the Old Testament people to kind of clean out the kitchen, get rid of the old stuff, the old leaven, the old yeast that wasn't working, and bring something new in. But that fresh start had a spiritual dimension too. The festival and the seven days, seven days in a row of unleavened bread was a reminder and a sign to God's people that God, God had taken their sin away. God had cleaned out all the old yeast, all the old junk. Everything had been impacted by sin. The yeast had worked through all the parts of their lives and everything was a bit off. And especially their relationship with God was a bit off. Because God is a holy and gracious and powerful and amazing God and evil cannot be in his presence. So they and we as people who had evil touch all of our lives could not approach the Lord. Total depravity means ultimately that our relationship with God is broken. And that is the worst thing that could ever happen. And we need, we need to realize that in order to really understand the grace of God and the miracle of our relationship with Him. And what God is up to. What God is up to is restoring us from total depravity to total communion. The Lord is at work in us, undoing the effects of sin in our lives, and in some ways right away, and in some ways bit by bit taking our sin away and restoring our relationship so that we can experience total communion with Him. 
And when we experience that total communion fully, then we will have been fully delivered from sin and fully restored to our relationship with him. Israel's responsibility in this feast was not to serve up a traditional meal. The point was never the food. The point was that the food was a sign that God restored his people. The unleavened bread was an entry point for God's people to realize that the Lord was at work. So when someone would ask, why do we have to do this again? Why, Mom? Why the unleavened bread? The answer would be, we celebrate this because the Lord has restored us. This festival in the Old Testament was a sign that God was at work bringing his people back into communion with him. And this festival was also an Old Testament pointer to the work of Christ. When Christ died and was buried, he took took the yeast of sin. He took the leaven of sin with him into the grave, and he left it there. God took away the thing that's worked into all of our lives and made us wrong, and he left it there so that we could be made right. And now, because of Christ's work, the Holy Spirit continues to draw us into God's presence. Our redemption means the restoration of our relationship with the Lord. The Holy Spirit brings us back. He cleans us up. He connects us to the Lord. If you've ever cooked, and maybe especially if you haven't cooked that much, you've probably had a dish go bad on you. Especially early on when we're learning to cook, you add the wrong ingredients or you get the ratios wrong or you put things in in the wrong order and you can end up with a real mess. Something that people look at and go, I, I, I don't want to eat that. But if you're being helped out by someone who's a really good cook, sometimes they can come in and look at the mess that you've made and trace out the steps you took wrong and they can fix it. They'll take some things out and add some other things in, or they'll mix it up differently, or they'll totally change what you're making. And instead of making this dessert, we're taking a left turn, we're making that dessert. But a really good cook can take even a dish gone terribly wrong and bring it back. When we had things all messed up, when things were totally wrong, the Lord stepped in and he made things right. Sin has impacted every part of our lives But through Christ, through the Holy Spirit, every part of our lives is being made right. And that brings us to the Lord's Supper, to our final point for today. The Lord's Supper, what we will partake in today, is a sign to us that the Lord is restoring our relationship with Him. The Lord's Supper, it's not really about the food, the food is a sign. The food is a, an enactment, if you will, an acting out of the reality that the Lord is bringing us into fellowship with Him. This meal is a sign to us, to you, that the Lord is bringing you back. And that's what John 15 is talking about. It's talking about how Jesus has become the vine, the root, and we're the branches, and, and we're called to abide in Christ to remain in Him. He is the vine. We are the branches. 
He has brought us into his presence. He is restoring our relationship. He's bringing us into fellowship with him. And so as we think back to the Feast of Unleavened Bread, as we think back to the work of Christ, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper today, this is not just a meal. It's a sign of a deeper reality. It's a part of a bigger story. The Lord. The Lord is taking the messiness, the mixed upness, the brokenness, the sinfulness in our lives, and He is doing away with it. And He is restoring us to fellowship with Him. When we share in the Lord's Supper, we're called to celebrate. We're called to celebrate the total communion that we have with the Lord through the Holy Spirit. The Lord has restored us. So take, eat, remember, believe, experience that the Lord is with us. That in this meal, the Lord draws us into his presence and he brings us deeper into relationship with him. The Lord Jesus died and rose again to save us. The Holy Spirit dwells within us, and he is restoring us to complete communion with the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we have gathered here to worship this morning, as we look forward to celebrating the sacrament of communion, We give you thanks that you have brought us back to you. And Lord, we pray that in this time and in all of our lives, that you work to separate the sin and the evil out from us, from who we are, from what we do, from how we live. And you work to transform us so that we are people who can be completely connected to you. Father, we thank you for the blessing of the relationship we have with you. And we pray that you work in us to deepen that relationship. Work in us through this sign and seal of the Lord's Supper. Bring us into true communion with you, our Father, our Savior, our Guide, and our Comforter. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.